What's going on, guys? Sam Adams here, and welcome to Caffeinade for September the 3rd, 2018. It is now September, which is absolutely insane. My name is Samuel Adams, and welcome to today's show. For those that don't know what you are watching, this is a daily gaming news morning show where I bring you the hottest gaming news from around the industry, talking about PlayStation, Xbox, Switch, any kind of drama, the online space, whatever it might be, we've got a lot of stuff to cover every single weekday right here again on youtube.com slash Samuel Adams Media and I love doing this show it's probably one of my favorite things that I've ever done here on the channel on YouTube on Twitch whatever it might be I love it all it's really really a fantastic time uh, crazy to think that the podcast has been going for nearly, I think that's five months now. Uh, it's crazy. We're coming up on like a whole bunch of things. Uh, it's been really, really cool, and I'm glad that so many people do enjoy the show. But today, we do have a lot of news to dive into. But before we jump into that, happy Labor Day for those in the States. Uh, I'm celebrating by putting on a morning show and also hanging out with family, doing some other stuff. I might be streaming more. Uh, we'll see what happens with that. I've been considering coming back to the streaming space, playing some games with you guys, but I'm not really sure about it yet. That's kind of a, a weird relationship that I have with streaming at the moment, but we'll discuss that at a later date. However, right now, what we are going to be diving into is the story that Anthem is going to have free DLC for all players after launch, which is very interesting, along with a demo for the game that's coming out in February. The Olympic president has commented on the violence in video games, which is still a problem in bringing esports into the actual Olympic game. Switch has the best-selling console in Japan for six months straight. Sega has confirmed a pretty awesome game is going to be coming to the Switch. Capcom has a stance on Monster Hunter World's modifications, but... They haven't gone either way, and we'll talk about that a little bit. Rainbow Six Siege is getting a brand new operation coming out this week by the name of Grim Sky, or Operation Grim Sky, I believe, is a DLC thing, uh, which we will talk about. And we also have a final secret in Doom 2 that has been uncovered after 24 years, which is always a fun thing to talk about. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into the news of the day. Anthem Story DLC will be free for all players. Again, this is coming to us from PlayStation Lifestyle, but there are a ton of other outlets reporting on this because it was news that came out of PAX. Bioware announced during Anthem's PAX West 2018 panel that any Story DLC the game receives post-launch will be free of cost for all players. The developer has said that it doesn't want to divide its audience, and as previously stated, only cosmetic items will be purchasable. First, so no loot boxes, executive producer Mark Darrow re reiterated, excuse me, there will be some cosmetic stock that you can pay for, but it will always be earnable. For storytelling, we don't want to divide the audience. We want people to be able to experience the game stories, so none of this is going to be locked. High-level gear and weapons can be earned by playing the game, but some of them may be locked behind certain challenges. For example, strongholds will give certain things, according to Dara. Separately, in an interview with Cineblend, Dara said that Anthem's DLC will continue evolving character stories. Quote, Because of the way that we're going to release the story and additional character moments in Anthem, we can continue to evolve the character forward in a way that we haven't done before, he explained. Anthem is scheduled for release on February 22nd, 2019. So overall, the DLC is going to be free for all players from here on out, from the launch of the game until the end of the game, which is absolutely fantastic. And to be quite honest with the way that the industry is trending, I can't imagine DLC uh, remaining a paid part of the game for the foreseeable future. It just has to continue to evolve and change and become this kind of thing where this is just additional content that keeps people coming back into the game and the bulk of the money is going to be made from cosmetic purchases by people that want to customize their own player characters or their own kind of bases or whatever you might have in your game. It's going to all be cosmetic in my mind. I could could be very wrong about this, but it just seems like that's the way that the industry is trending. 
I think the gamers are really kind of beginning to evolve, if I'm being honest with you. I think that they're beginning to realize uh, that companies don't have to charge for DLC, and they can find other ways to monetize their content even further, and that's simply going to be kind of an evolutionary kind of step in how we begin to see games broken down going forward. With Anthem, this is a pretty big deal. Of course, the next Call of Duty is still going with the traditional season pass. I'm just thinking of other big games that are going to be coming out over the next few months. And so it will be interesting to see how many players continue to Play, uh, pay for the Call of Duty season pass and how many continue to play games like Anthem for an extended period of time as compared to what they would normally put into it because there is free DLC for them to continue coming back to. Uh, one thing that I can think of that is really uh, sticking out of my mind when it comes to free DLC would be something along the lines of Battlefield 5 where you do have all these maps and all this post-launch content with the Theaters of War or something along those lines. I forget what they're actually calling it but it's essentially that idea where there is a continued amount of support after a launch Uh, So people continue to play the game instead of moving on to something else. And that's really what the name of the game is in 2018. It's not about making money necessarily right out of the gate. It's about bringing people back in with the potential to continue to monetize your game if it does continue to perform well. That's really what it all comes down to. Uh, So if you're looking forward to Anthem, then you can look forward to playing it on February 22nd, 2019. And we also have a follow-up story because you can play it even sooner than that. There's an Anthem demo coming for the PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC in February. This is the Anthem. Put your... uh, Wait... This is the anthem, put your hands up. That's probably a song they're referencing over GameSpot. I'm not a trendy individual, so I don't know anything about that. But EA has announced that it will make a VIP demo for BioWare's anthem available to EA slash Origin Access subscribers on Xbox One and PC, respectively, on February the 1st, 2019. The demo also be available. I always love it when people mess up a little bit. I'm just poking fun. Don't go harass this man slash woman over here that's writing on GameSpot, but that's always fun. The demo also be available to pre-order customers, which opens the door for PS4 players to get in on the action. The announcement was made during the studio's PAX West panel. Anthem lead producer Mike Gamble said the demo is not a tech test or a beta looking for feedback and is instead a slice of the game. EA has confirmed that Anthem's release date for February 22nd, 2019. The game is a sci-fi action RPG that casts players as freelancers who are soldiers that are equipped with javelins, which are pretty much the suits. These super high-tech Iron Man-like suits allow players to fly around environments and engage with enemies while completing quests, either alone or with others. And of course, there's gameplay that was shown off at E3, which they're advertising over there on GameSpot. But essentially, if you want to jump into the game a little bit early, and you happen to be an EA slash Origin Access subscriber, you can jump in on February the 1st. Uh, to be determined if you can do the same thing on the same day on PlayStation 4. It doesn't really say it here in the article itself. I would assume that that's how it's going to work, but hey, I don't know. You know what they say about assuming. Uh, But it's cool to hear that they are going to be putting out a slice of the game. I like the idea of a traditional demo as compared to a beta, uh, which in my mind, they've both kind of gotten muddled together over the past decade or so. Uh, Because we have had the continued evolution of online play to where you pretty much have to have a game in a finished state before you do release it to your audience to play in any way, shape, or form. And that's kind of what we're going to be getting with Battlefield 5 later on this week whenever you do have the accessibility of pretty much a big chunk of the multiplayer experience. And you can pretty much play it all the way through and see what's broken, see what needs to be changed, test balance, etc. It's finished, but it's not quite finished. And with Anthem, it sounds like they're trying to kind of actually finish the game and then put it out there and say, hey, this is what we've got. 
put a lot of time into this, see if you like it, and then you can purchase it in a couple of weeks after it is released on February 22nd, 2019. Uh, will I be getting Anthem? I don't know. I'll dive into the beta slash demo and see. Uh, I still want to call it a beta for some reason, but I would love to, um, I would love to throw a lot of time into this. I'm just not really sure if it's my kind of game because with stuff like Destiny 2 and with stuff like Destiny and, um, and in general, these other looter shooters, even Borderlands to some degree, I'm just not really big on that kind of grind. That's just not what I am. Uh, but, you never know. Everybody continues to evolve and change with time, so it could be my thing. Who knows? We'll have to dive in and see, but I will find out whenever I can get my hands on that demo in early February in 2019, which is sooner than it sounds. Just a couple of months away, really. A lot of games coming out over the next few months. A lot of games. I'm sorry to everybody involved in my social life, but I am going to be receding into a hole full of fantastic entertainment. But moving on to the next story of the day, Olympic president violent games are still a problem facing esports as an event. Six esports demonstrated at this week's 2018 Asian Games, uh, apparently. I had no idea this was happening. The Olympics boss is complaining about violent video games again. Thomas Bach, the president of the International Olympic Committee, said again, the Olympics would not consider a game which is promoting violence or discrimination without giving a specific example of a popular esport that does. Last year, he made a similar criticism when asked if esports would ever join the Olympic program. The occasion this time is the Asian Games, which featured six esports in a demonstration program, Arena of Valor, Clash Royale, Hearthstone, League of Legends, Pro Evolution Soccer 2018, and StarCraft II. The the competition concluded today with Japan winning gold in PES 2018. China won gold in two events and three medals in all, most of the seven nations competing. But Bach isn't impressed. So-called killer games, they, from our point of view, are contradictory to the Olympic values and cannot therefore be accepted, he said. An Associated Press reporter noted that Bach won a gold medal in the 1976 Olympics in fencing, a sport in which competitors poke one another with a sword. Bach chided any comparison to that as a violent competition. Quote, of course, every combat sport has its origins in a real fight among people, he said, but sport is the civilized expression about this. If you have e-games where it's about killing somebody, this cannot be brought into line with our Olympic views. Last year at this time, Bach made the same non-discrimination and non-violence criticism of video games on the whole when he demurred about esports inclusion in future Olympic uh, Olympic games. Later, the IOC issued a statement that noted esports growth had an appeal, but said it needs a worldwide governing federation for the IOC to work with first. In July, the IOC held a forum with a global Association of International Sports Federations on the subject of esports with Blizzard Entertainment's Mike's Morheim, Riot Games Chief Executive Niccolo Laurent, and the Electronic Sports League's founder Ralph Reichardt present. The IOC and GAISF, what are all these things, formed a liaison group to continue the discussion of esports in the Olympics, and Bach will list esports on the agenda for the next Olympic Summit meeting in December. So it sounds like things are in the books. Uh, it's beginning to kind of continue to evolve and grow, and we're beginning to see the inclusion of esports as a viable part of Olympics. It's pretty crazy, actually, uh, especially when you're talking about stuff like the Asian Games and also mainline Olympic events. That's going to be fantastic to see. I think that it could bring uh, not only a lot of people into the gaming community, but also a lot of revenue uh, whenever you include esports. And it can continue to assist the overall idea of esports to rise to popularity, which is something that it's not been struggling with, but it's something that could be assisted. And so uh, I would love to see more of this kind of discussion, but it sounds like it's going to be kind of a generational thing, if you will, uh, where people are going to have to continue to kind of push the push the idea of esports as an Olympic sport over the next 10 to 20 years. And that's when you're going 
going to see it be completely included in what you get with the standard kind of Olympic setup. So, again, we'll see what happens with this. I'm not expecting the eSports to be included in any kind of Olympic Games officially uh, over the course of the next five years or so, but I would love to see this uh, become a thing. It's just one of those things where it sounds like this man who is in charge of a lot of the stuff is kind of against the entire idea of it. And so, when you have somebody that is leading uh, the entire push that isn't really passionate about it, well, you're probably not going to be getting it. Uh, But again, if enough people fight to get the esports in the Olympics, then I'm sure you'll probably get it. But um, again, it's all about the money when it comes down to it for a lot of these people, and there is money to be made, so why not? I mean, go go ahead and do it. You can make money. Like, literally, just make money. That's all you gotta do. Uh, But... If you wanted to do something that isn't related to Olympic Games, I've tried to make a smooth transition, but I couldn't pull one out there. The Switch has been the best-selling console in Japan for six months. Almost five million units have been sold, not far behind the PS4 already. That is crazy, but it's also Japan. The latest Japanese gaming sales figures are in, revealing that the Nintendo Switch was the best-selling console for the sixth consecutive month during August, almost reaching 5 million total sales in the region. During the four-week period of the 30th of July to the 26th of August, the Switch sold 199,000 units across Japan. This number brings the total figure for units sold to 4.966 million, a number which should rise to a lovely 5 million by the end of this week if current sales resume at their usual pace. For the sake of comparison, Sony's PS4 sold 86,000 units this month, bringing its total to 6.979 million units sold, just 2 million above Switch despite being on the market for an additional 3 years. Of course, the PS4's total sales across other regions still dwarfs that of the Switch, so it's mainly just a Japanese kind of thing. In terms of software, Splatoon 2 was the best-selling game of the month, generating a total of 96,639 sales. WarioWare Gold, which has the excellent name of Made in Wario Gorgeous in Japan, came in second with 90,121 sales, and Mario Kart 8 Deluxe was third with 86,897 sales. And there is one that I cannot pronounce, which has 77,761 sales, and a couple of other ones that we will talk about. But overall, uh, the Switch is killing it in Japan, and also in other regions, if we are being quite frank with ourselves here. Uh, They're doing very well over there, and of course, Japan has always been kind of leaning towards the Nintendo kind of experience. Big over there it is. And so, 5 million, I mean, that's a lot, uh, considering that the PS3, or excuse me, the PS4 has been on the market for almost three years, an additional three years, or actually over three years, I believe. Uh, You have a very impressive kind of uh, game of catch-up being completed here. I mean, that's a lot of units being pushed in just a short amount of time. Uh, I'm expected to continue to see this kind of growth, or I'm expecting to continue to see this kind of growth. Uh, It just kind of makes sense that you would continue to see people buying Nintendo products in Japan, and that's just kind of the natural way of things. Plus, they make quality products. Uh, Really interesting to hear that WarioWare Gold is doing very well over there. Of course, the 3DS is way bigger over there than it is publicly here. I think a lot more people play 3DS than we realize, Uh, but If you are interested in how the Switch is doing abroad, if you are in the States or elsewhere, then the Nintendo Switch is doing very, very well over there in Japan, which, again, is not a shock by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, But if you wanted to learn more about this, you can check out the entire story over there on Nintendo Life. And, of course, as always, the links for all these stories are in the description box down below over on the YouTube page if you did want to check out something in a little bit more depth. But... Uh, Cool to see that the Switch is still doing very well, and it will continue to do well with the release of Valkyria Chronicles, which is again coming to the Nintendo Switch next month, and you can get a 25% discount if you're picking up Valkyria Chronicles 4. 
Valkyria Chronicles is coming to Nintendo Switch on the 16th of October 2018, announcing the release date of its PAX West panel thanks Silicon Era. Sega confirmed the port would drop in the Americas and Europe at the same time a few weeks after the game is released in Japan on the 27th of September. Right now, it appears the strategy RPG will be only available to digital people on the Nintendo eShop. I kind of butchered that. We're going to move on. But if you've already got plans to pick up Valkyria Chronicles 4, which is available from the 25th of September, you'll be able to pick up Switchboard for 25% off of the retail price for Valkyria Chronicles, the original, the OG, if you will. As yet, there is no official teasers on Sega's social media channels, but there is footage from the PAX West show floor popping up on YouTube, so you can take a peek at that if you are curious. If you can't wait, don't forget that Valkyria Chronicles is already available on the PC and PS4 right now. Our other features and reviews editor Martin over there at Eurogamer thinks there's something ageless about Sega's original PS3 tactical shooter and believes Valkyria Chronicles 4 is a full-blooded, big-hearted throwback to everything that made the original shine a return to the strategic action as well as to the whimsical fantasy take on World War II. Uh, this is great. Uh, if you haven't played Valkyria Chronicles, I'm not really into this kind of game traditionally. I'm, it's just not my kind of art style. I'm not really into that whole tactical thing. But Valkyria Chronicles is a really, really fantastic title, and I'm glad to see it coming to the Switch because, as I say with a lot of the games that get ported over, it's going to be right at home. If you haven't played it, you really should. Uh, and, of course, if you are playing Valkyria Chronicles 4, it's just kind of a no-brainer. It's 25% off. Go ahead and pick it up. I'm a big fan of Valkyria Chronicles. So if you want to check it out again, it's coming out in just a couple of weeks on the Nintendo Switch digitally only, but hopefully we'll see limited run games or another one of these small companies uh, pick up a physical version of the game because I love it whenever people make physical versions of digital only games. I don't know. I like I like holding my games whenever I purchase something or spend money on a product. I like to be able to hold that and feel it. That's just me, though. But if you did want to check out what they are bringing to the table, again, it's coming out in just a couple of weeks, coming out on the 25th for Valkyrie Chronicles 4, and again, it's coming out on the 27th in September in Japan, but if you want to play it in Europe and the States, the 16th of October 2018 here on the Nintendo Switch. Kind of confusing as far as release dates go, but you guys are smart people, you'll figure it out. However, another game that is not on the Switch but still very significant for 2018. Capcom's stance on Monster Hunter World mods is still unclear. Mod with caution and at your own risk. I'm very interested in this story, and I thought about not including it because it's not really a story. There's just no statement here. It's not going one way or the other. It just simply is a thing where it's like, hey, they don't really know what they want at this point. But I thought I would include it so we could have a conversation about this because it's something that is significant, especially in 2018 and also with the rise of PC gaming, uh, to specific prominence, if you will. Capcom's stance on Monster Hunter World again is still unclear. Modders have been hard at work customizing and fine-tuning Monster Hunter World's PC port, but while modding in excessive patriotism or essential armor transmogs is tempting, many players have been reluctant to use any mods out of fear of being banned. The cosmetic mods were, uh, we are seeing for World aren't like the paid Street Fighter mods that have drawn Capcom's ire in the past, but World is still a multiplayer game with a vague EULA, so it's unclear what mods Capcom considers harmless. Concerned Reddit user TenZ92 recently reached out to Capcom for clarification regarding two mods, one that replaced is the Xbox button prompts with PS4 versions and an armor transmog mod, presumably Fine Nerd's excellent mod. According to a screenshot posted by TenZ92, a Capcom support representative said, quote, Capcom does not support any mods created by third parties. Any official mod would be published on the Steam page of the game. You can use any mods you like for the game, but it is at your own risk. If the mod only improves the graphics of the game and gives you no gameplay advantage, normally you should not be banned. It's encouraging response, but I haven't heard any of the players being banned for using mods so far. However, the notion of normally not 
not being banned is still shaky. So I reached out to Capcom, they say over there at PC Gamer, for more information. Capcom did not comment on the above statement, but simply said, quote, modded content is not officially supported by Capcom. We are unable to comment on the use of particular mods with the game. However, our team does actively monitor content used in the game. Right now, it doesn't seem like Capcom is doing anything to halt the use of cosmetic mods, but until it firmly states whether or not it will ban or otherwise punish players for using them, we cannot be sure if every mod is safe to use at this time. So, essentially, you are modding at your own risk when it comes to this kind of thing. And that's something that is a little bit shaky, because modding is such a big part of the PC community. I mean, you have games that should have died many, many years ago that are still getting modded today that are bringing people back into the game. And that's pretty much what keeps the games alive and what's keeping money flowing. And really, in 2018, as we said with the first story, we're talking about the DLC and bringing people back into the game. If there is something that can continue to put your game in the minds of gamers... And kind of keep your name fresh in people's minds, you need to take advantage of that and make sure that it is something that is happening and doing doing so effectively. And so with mods, it's just a free way for you to continue to be a prominent source of entertainment in the gaming community without having to do anything at all. And that's what GTA 5 has done very well. Of course, the base vanilla game when it, when it comes to Grand Theft Auto 5 is incredibly in-depth. There's a story there that is totally worth playing time and time again. There's a lot to do within the vanilla game. But the mods, I mean, I was seeing on social media, a Magneto mod was introduced to GTA 5, where you can literally throw cars and planes and stuff all around the world, and it's hilarious, and it's fantastic, and it gets people excited about going back into the game, and when you get back into GTA 5, you might see the DLC, you might buy the DLC, you might get really into GTA again. You never know what's going to come from this kind of thing. Uh, with Monster Hunter World, it really doesn't need any kind of help uh, when it comes to proving itself. It's the best-selling Capcom game of all time, if I remember correctly, and it's done so in a very short period of time. Uh, but when it comes to mods, they should definitely enable this kind of thing and make sure that it's put onto a separate side of the game, if you will. I understand the risk of it interfering with the online communication or the online connection side of things, where you do have uh, an unfair advantage if you use specific mods. I totally get that, and that should be kind of dealt with, and they should figure out a way to incorporate mods into the experience while also ensuring uh, that that multiplayer experience does reign kind of untouched. I think that is a big part of the overall experience. Uh, so again, stuff like this, changing the Xbox button prompts to PS4 versions, I don't see a problem with that at all. Uh, improving the graphics, if your rig can handle it, 100% go for it. As long as there is no kind of, of advantage that's being given in a competitive way, then you're fine. That's all I can say. Uh, so again, let me know what you guys think about this entire Monster Hunter World mod thing. You can hit, hit me up on Twitter at PrettyChill guy if you want to discuss that uh, but definitely a big discussion to be had when it comes to monster hunter world and its mods but a game that does not allow any kind of mods whatsoever. Rainbow Six Siege Operation Grim Sky release date has been announced. The shooter's next big update arrives in early September. Year 3, Season 3 of Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six Siege kicks off soon with the release of Operation Grim Sky. While the expansion is already available to try out on the game's test server, Ubisoft now has revealed when it will go live for all players across PS4, Xbox One, and PC, and that is September the 4th, the same day that Destiny 2 is getting its Forsaken DLC, which is very interesting. Like previous operations, Grim Sky introduces two new operators to the game, Maverick and Clash. Both hail from different organizations and fall under different classes. Maverick is an attacker from America who can use stun grenades and a blowtorch, and who has already been nerfed. Clash, meanwhile, is a defender from Great Britain. She is the first defender in the game to wield a shield and also comes equipped with a taser. In addition to the new operators, Grim Sky makes a significant overhaul to Hereford Base, one of the game's first maps, which was very well received when it was revealed a couple of weeks back. Ubisoft says this is the first such map overhaul in the development team has overtaken Undertaken's in Siege. 
Following the update, each floor of the base will uh, have a larger surface area and more destructible walls, and new staircases and hatches have been added to give players more options for moving around the map. The console map is also receiving a buff as part of the Operation Grim Sky update. These changes aren't as significant as the ones being applied to Hereford Base, but they'll nonetheless force you to tweak your strategies. The police line spawn point has been extended, while a wall has been moved near the gas station spawn point to prevent spawn peeking and early kills. Ubisoft is also adding another bomb site to the map in Tellers and Archives. And rounding out Operation Grim Sky are a range of balanced tweaks and bug fixes, and there is a full list of patch notes over on the official website. Uh, but if you are still into Rainbow Six Siege, which many, many people are, you are getting a big, big additional DLC coming out this week. So cool stuff if you want to dive in and check it out again. Uh, I would totally recommend going back to Rainbow Six Siege. This is the perfect opportunity to do so, uh, because this is pretty much one of the points in the game's life whenever you're going to be getting a lot of noobs on the servers at once, and so you do have a chance. It's not all professionals, especially if you're just playing casual instead of ranked. Uh, but again, you can work your way up, see if you can get that uh, that ranked play down pat. I'm never going to be able to do that, but um, I love Rainbow Six Siege. I played it a lot whenever it was sort of making a comeback for the first time, and then I kind of fell out of practice. Uh, but it really is a fantastic game, and one that I think is... Um, is going to make a difference in the long run. I think it's going to be looked back upon as a big turning point for the overall strategy kind of shooter, and it's uh, really cool to watch it whenever it is played competitively. I love watching professional Siege players do their thing. Cool, cool stuff. Uh, but if you did want to check it out again, the update is dropping on September the 4th. You can check it out now on the test servers if you did want to do that on PC. I'm not sure if there are test servers on PS4 and Xbox One. I haven't heard anything about that, uh, but they could be. If there are, you can dive in and check it out. Uh, however, again, I think the coolest thing in this entire update is the fact that they are changing the maps because spawn peaking and pretty much not cheating but using the game's mechanics to your advantage, that's a big issue when it comes to competitive siege because it kind of hinders people's abilities uh, based on where they spawn and that's not something that should be done. You should be able to have a competitive advantage or at least be able to compete uh, just based off of skill alone and so to see them adjusting the map and changing things up to where people do have to relearn specific strategies, I like that. It keeps the game fresh and I hope they do more of that in the future. And it's going to be fun to watch and see how those changes do impact the professional gameplay. But speaking of pro gameplay, 24 years later, Speedrunner has found the last official secret in Doom 2. John Romero congratulated Zero Master on finally mastering Map 15. According to John Romero, Doom Speedrunner Zero Master has finally uncovered Doom 2's best-kept secret, a previously inaccessible sector found in the Industrial Zone map designed by Romero himself. You can see the movement Zero Master obtains the secret around 3-4 in the video above, but I recommend starting around 2.30 to get the full effect, and there is a video which will be in the article, which I I have linked down below in the description box. This secret has technically been known for some time, but Zero Master was the first to obtain it without using any cheats. As Zero Master explained on YouTube, a secret can only be triggered if Doom Guy's center is within the secret area and he is on the same height as the sec secret sector. Excuse me. But as Romero explained on Twitter, you don't enter this secret sector when you touch it by normal means, so you would never get inside the teleporter sector to trigger the secret. I don't know what any of this means, but it sounds like it took a long time. As a result, per the Doom Wiki's Industrial Zone entry, it was considered considered impossible to get this secret, therefore the maximum secrets percentage one can ordinarily get on this map is 90%. Zero Master found a way around this by luring a pain elemental and using the knockback from its attack to bump him into the secret. This forces you down to the lowest floor the moving door is on, which puts you within the secret sector and on the same height, thus triggering the secret Zero Master said. He has done it, apparently. 
The Doom Wiki's entry for the map has been updated following Zero Master's breakthrough. It now reads, while the mechanism is not currently completely understood, it may be related to the phenomenon of sprites flickering across ledges or lifts. The resulting series of clipping operations will temporarily lower the player's Z-coordinate to the lowest floor underneath the player, causing the secret to be tallied. In other words, after 24 years, Doom 2 speedrunners can now 100% the game without relying on cheats. And that is a pretty cool story. Again, this isn't something that I particularly care that much about. It is what it is. Uh, But it's cool to see that people are still enjoying games like this and still speedrunning. Of course, Doom is one of the legendary games, and of course, with the comeback of not only 2016's Doom, but also Doom Eternal that's coming out in just a couple of months, uh, it is shaping up to make a big comeback, and more and more people will be continuing to play this game as well. Uh, So it's cool stuff to be able to see that you do... uh, for 100% the game if you try hard enough. It's really awesome to see that kind of stuff. Uh, of course, these games are normally on sale for a relatively affordable price on GOG and a couple of other sites if you wanted to play the original Doom. Uh, it's worth going back to, and of course, it's available on PlayStation, I think, as well, uh, along with stuff like Duke Nukem, which is always a fun time as well. Uh, so if you did want to learn more about what's going on here, there is an article which is linked down below. But... That will wrap it up for today's episode of Caffeinate. If you enjoyed today's show, be sure to drop me a like down below if you're watching on YouTube. And if you're on a podcast service, be sure to leave me a rating if you enjoyed the show. And come back tomorrow by subscribing to the channel because I do do this show five days a week. And yes, I did say doo-doo. That's just me, though. Uh, but again, you can follow me on Twitter at Pretty Chill Guy if you want to keep up to date with all of the news coming out and all of the memes that I post on my Twitter page. Always a good time and we have good conversation over there. But as for right now, I'm going to go continue my playthrough of God of War because that game is very, very good. I'm glad that I went back to it. And then I'm diving in Horizon Zero Dawn at some point in the next couple of weeks. And also Spider-Man comes out Friday. A lot of games to play. A lot, a lot of games to play. But enjoy your day. Thank you for joining me. And I will talk to you soon. Peace.